If you've got a Bible with you, um, you can turn it to Philippians chapter 2, and we're in verse, going from verse 19 this morning, and we're carrying on our series looking at the letter to the Philippians in the Bible, and uh, it's as part of this series looking at uh, uh, what we've called uh, We Rejoice. Uh, we've called it that because we've kind of been going through our values as a church. You remember our values, don't you? That we talked about last year, that we believe these are the things that define who we are, our culture, the way that we do things. Do we just need a quick reminder of our values? Have we got the slide with our values on, guys? There we go. Can we, all, we all know what they are, don't we? There we go. We can say them together, can't we? We rejoice. We welcome we inspire, we go. There we go. Excellent. And so, uh, it's a new year. It's a new year, but I'm really, um, like Raj, not really one for New Year's resolutions. In fact, it was quite pleasing to hear that I can scrap mine now. Um, but there is something, isn't there, about a, a kind of a, a freshness as the new year comes, the Christmas decorations, I'm sure, have been put away. And if they're not put away, then they need to be put away, don't they? Eventually. There's a, there's a new start. Maybe you've got a new diary or a new calendar that's fresh and new. Or maybe you're just thinking, well, do you know what? In the very least, I hope that the next year isn't as bad or as um, horrendous as the year before, the year that went. Perhaps it was a difficult year for you. You just want it to be better than last year. And if, if we're honest, as the years kind of go by, we kind of get this sense that, do you know, we want our lives to count for something, don't we? No one wants to waste it. No one wants to waste their life. Because when you break down your life, you find out that actually it's quite easy to waste it. One year just simply rolls on to the next. Do you know what? Uh, let's, let's take a look at this graph. Ah, oh, there we go. Just about we can make it out. This is kind of if, you're, if your life was broken down in all the things that you do. On average, we spend 33 years of our life in bed. And do you know what? Seven years of that is simply just trying to get to sleep. Seven years. We spend over 11 years staring at a screen, whether that's at work or, or watching TV or on our phones. We're likely to spend 11 years. We're likely to spend 1.3 years exercising. Is that right, Sarush? Do you spend 1.3 years of your life exercising? Perhaps not, but on average... We, we, you will spend... On average, 235 days of your life queuing. I think I did most of that over the Christmas period. But it's, it's, it, and it's not all bad. Obviously, there's some good things in there as well. But it's a reminder that so much of our life can easily be wasted if we let it. We're going to read about three people this morning in this passage who made their lives count, who used their time well. And we're going to look at a few things in this passage that helps us to see what they focused on to do this. So let's have a read of this 
uh, passage this morning. So we're going from Philippians chapter 2, from verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's hoping, confident in the Lord, that he may be able to come to them in the future. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Okay, so we're going to look at really three things this morning. That These were friends, but they were fr- it was friendship with foundation, and it was friendship on a mission. So let's look at their friendship this morning. Because for Paul, this is really important. See, we often think of Paul as like some kind of one-man whirlwind who just went round the Mediterranean like traveling and starting churches and then moving on to the next place. But no, no, he worked in teams. So we read of others in the New Testament like Barnabas, and like Silas, like John Mark, like Luke, who are travelling with Paul. And again here we read about Epaphroditus and about Timothy. They're not just colleagues, it's not just... They are, they're deeply joined at a relational level. He says about Timothy, he's like, he's like, it's like a son working with a father. And he says to, about Epaphroditus, he calls him my brother. And there's also not a sense of, well, I'm the boss and you guys are just do what I say because I'm the super apostle. No, no, he says, actually, no, Timothy, is a, it was like as a son with a father, he served with me. And he says about Epaphroditus, he's my co-worker. No, these guys are working in team, together, learning from one another, alongside one another. These were men that clearly brought Paul Paul, lots of joy. There's emotion here. There's connection here. There's relationship here. Paul shows this when he talks about the possibility of losing Epaphroditus. You know, it was like it would have brought sorrow upon all my existing sorrow. Gordon Fee, the the Bible teacher, says that this passage should be a constant reminder to us that the New Testament was written in the context of real people in a real world. See, he says like the Bible can become like what he calls a scholar's playground. The Bible just becomes like a, a thing where clever people dissect it and study it. 
Or he says it just becomes like a rule book for believers where you kind of go, just tell me what things I have to do and what things I don't have to do. Without appreciation for the human nature of the text. He says that it was informed by Paul's theology, but it's at a very personal, practical level. Paul is a believer surrounded in a world with friends. Friends that brought him joy and friends that had the potential to bring grief. See, friendship is so important. I I tend to agree with uh, Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, who said, friendship is the hardest thing in the world to explain. It's not something you learn in school, but if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you haven't really learned anything. Friendship is important in the Christian life. See, Jesus modelled it, didn't he? Jesus had friends. He had friends that were men. He had friends that were women. He had some close friends. He made new friends. He made friends with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He made friends with a woman that he met at a well. He said to his disciples, look, I don't call you servants. I'm calling you my friends. This is what Proverbs uh, 27 verse 9 says. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. See, there's something joyful about the closeness of a friend, isn't there? Something sweet like perfume, like incense, something uplifting about friendship. Do you have Christian friendships that bring you joy, that are sweet, that are like perfume to you? See, we've been looking at this theme, haven't we? Rejoicing and joy through the letter to the Philippians. But what we have to see is that rejoicing, joy, it's not an individual project. It's not just like something I do on my own. No, no, they're fulfilled in community where we share joy together or where we share in the joy of others. And we do it even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of sorrow. We can share joy with one another. See, friendship in the Christian life is not an optional extra. It's not a waste of time. And whatever stage of life you are in, however relationships have gone in your life, wherever you are at right now, you need friends. I need friends. That's why we have groups, partly in in Jubilee, partly to help us to make friends, make more friends. See, Sunday mornings aren't always great at that in terms of making friendship on a deeper level, but devoted groups are a great place to start. So this January, come along to a devoted group. Meet some friends. Make some new friends. You can always look on uh, the website, on social media, or tell you more about how to get along to a devoted group. Perhaps you don't find making friends easy. Let me tell you a secret. Neither do I. I don't. I envy people who make friends really easily. I don't. I, don't find, I find it hard. But perhaps you and I, if that's you, perhaps you and I are going to have to rely on God's grace a little bit more to persevere in making friendships. See, deep friendships like we read about in this passage don't just happen overnight. No, no, friendships are developed through smaller interactions. 
maybe over talking over a cup of tea or over a beer or through an act of kindness or through eating a meal together or serving alongside someone in a team. The, the serving teams we have in Jubilee aren't just so that we get things done. They're so that we're friends together. If you want to find out about joining a serving team, come and speak to uh, me or Raj or Saroosh or Gavin. We'll, we'll help you. Um, or someone you think will know. We'll help you find a team that you can serve and get alongside people. Don't wait for others to make friends with you. Don't just sit and take a passive um, uh, uh, approach. Go and make friends. Listen, this is what Dale Carnegie, who wrote a famous book about making friends, uh, said, you can make more friends in two months by being more interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Interesting. Don't wait for people to make friends with you. Or you might be thinking, well, how am I meant to make friends with when everyone is so diverse? Everyone's different to me. But let's look at our passage. Let's look at it again. See, we've got Paul. Paul is like, Paul, Paul is a Jew. He, he described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's someone who knew how to keep the law. And he knew it. And then we've got Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, his name suggests he had a pagan background. He was not Jewish. He was not religious in that sense. In fact, his name means belonging to Aphrodite. Does anyone know what Aphrodite was the goddess of? Love, yes. Things like love and sex and beauty. That's what Aphrodite was the goddess of. And Epaphroditus was named after her. And do you know what? There were, some, there were all sorts of rituals linked to Epaphrodite, as you can imagine. And she was also the patron of gambling. There you go. This is not a good background, is it? Two very different men. But both had encountered Jesus. Both had had their lives changed when they met him. And both now belong to Jesus. See, they were friends. When you share Jesus, it's amazing who you can be friends with, isn't it? Amazing. That's the beauty of the local church. Okay, but it was friendship with foundations. Timothy is praised by Paul as someone who doesn't seek his own interests, but actually, he thought of others. He showed concern and care for others. He says, Paul says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. He doesn't say everyone looks out of their own interests, not the interests of others. He says, not those of Jesus Christ. And do you know what? This statement of Paul's is as countercultural today as it was then. See, the message of our world is find out who you really are. Find out deep down who you are. Then you'll achieve happiness. If you want to succeed, be the real you. It's there. It's deep inside. You've just got to find it. You've got to draw it out of yourself. And perhaps nowhere more is this on display than the songs we see in our charts and the movies we watch on our screens. It's a classic Hollywood plotline, isn't it? 
And to be honest, there's only... Do you know what? The scientists say there's only about six or seven plot lines in Hollywood. They're all the same, actually. If you've watched enough films over Christmas, you've probably seen and uh, encountered every Hollywood plot line there is. But it's a classic one, isn't it? That says, our hero is faced with a monumental challenge. It looks like they won't be able to do it. They have to look inside themselves, realise who they are, and from in there, draw out the strength to achieve. Draw out the strength to redeem themselves. It's Harry Potter. It's most of the superhero films. It's the greatest showman. It's Peter Rabbit. But the Christian message isn't find purpose and meaning in who you really are inside. Rather, it's find purpose and meaning in Jesus Christ. It's not the love and acceptance and discovery of yourself that you need to find. It's to realise that you are loved. You are accepted in Jesus. He has discovered you. Like Faye was saying this morning, there was a day. There was a day when I realised he'd drawn me to himself. There was a day where he discovered you. He came to you. When you realised that he loved and accepted you. See, Paul says to the Philippian church, Timothy's genuinely concerned about your welfare. Why? Because of his relationship to Jesus. He's found acceptance and joy. And now from that place he can be concerned for you and show his concern to you. His care for the Philippian church is out of a firm foundation. I thought Lou was great talking about firm foundations last week in her talk. It's from a firm foundation that he can care. See, next, next week we're going to look at the bit that comes before this passage. And uh, Paul says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he explains how you do this. He says it's by looking to Jesus. He says it's by being captivated by Jesus, by his life, by his sacrifice. It's about coming to him. It's about realising that he's the one that can empower you and I to serve those around us, to be a good friend. Listen, are you searching for answers this morning inside that are actually found in Jesus? Are you looking for love and acceptance inside that actually you can find in Jesus? You can realise that he loves and accepts you, that he receives you, that he is your friend. Sometimes we can, even at this time of year of New Year's resolutions, we can kind of go, if I just do these things, I'll earn God's love and acceptance when we kind of take God out of the equation. Actually, it's coming to him and realizing that he is the one who accepts us, who loves us, is for us. Okay, and thirdly, it's friendship on a mission. So Epaphroditus had been given the job of taking these gifts to Paul from the Philippian church to help Paul because, as I said before, he's in prison. Uh, and in, verse four, uh, sorry, in chapter 4, verse 18, we read Paul saying, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. See, gifts like this were literally life-saving. See, prisoners in Roman times, it wasn't like 
prison now, which I'm sure prison now is not pleasant and not nice, but some of your daily needs are met. In those times, he was relying on outside help. There was no, no help, then no food. If you didn't have help, you would probably die. And we find out that Epaphroditus risked his life. He, he's nearly dying on the way to get this gift to Paul. And Paul calls it what it is. It's the work of Christ. These, these three guys are not just friends. They're friends on a mission. They're caught up in what Christ is doing in the world. His work. See, verse 25, Paul calls him his fellow worker, his fellow soldier. He calls him something else as well, which is interestingly not in the NIV translation, but is in there if you're reading the English Standard Version. Has anyone, did anyone read out of the English Standard Version this morning or the New American Standard Version or something like that? He says this in that. It's translated as this. He's a minister to my need. It could be translated, he's a priestly servant to my need. It's not just, well, he brought the money. Uh, no, 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 actually... There's spiritual value, there's spiritual significance to meeting his friend's need. <laughs> How often do we recognise what we can do with our resources, with our time, with our money, as the work of Christ? Because that's what it is. Listen, here's an example. Through our giving, we help Michael Okotia and his team in Ghana Michael is an emerging apostle in that area to serve 17 churches in West Africa. We're helping him to train leaders. We're helping him help the poor, helping him to plant new churches. It's the work of Christ. It's the mission that we're caught up in. It's you and I. It's not like, oh, well, let's just do something with this little bit of spare cash we've got. There is no spare cash. It's the work of Christ. And you and I are involved. There was no dangerous journey to help him to do that. But it does take faith-filled, often stretching giving from you and I as a church. You and I are caught up in the work of Christ. We're doing it through projects here, like Open Door, like Sparklers, through the football team, in Hope Foundation, in many other ways. Because that's the mission God has given to us. It's not just stuff to keep us busy, stuff to feel, make us feel good. No, it's what Paul calls it. It's the work of Christ. And it may not involve risking your life. But I want to ask, what faith steps is God calling you to this year? Steps that are fueled and filled with passion for Jesus love for his church, compassion for others, compassion for those that don't know him. Steps that might involve risking your reputation or risking that job opportunity. Steps that might touch your free time or touch our wallets. Is it starting to give regularly to meet the needs of others or to give to the mission God's given us? Is it to reach out to that person who you think needs a friend or to join that club 
so that you can meet new people who don't know Jesus? Is it joining a group here in Jubilee to help make deeper friendships or get involved in one of those projects that I've mentioned? You see, by God's grace, we can use our time well. We can. And it'll involve steps of faith. So let let me just consider this as we finish and as we start to just kind of wrap things up. Just consider this. Look, Jesus is the only person who ever lived a perfect life, who ever used his time perfectly. He never wasted any time he had. And do you know what? He did not see friendship as wasted time. He saw it as well-used time. He saw maintaining his firm foundation, maintaining his relationship with his heavenly Father as well-used time. He saw serving those around him, not as waste, but well-used. He saw spending time with the poor and the marginalised as well-used time. And he was set on his mission. See, Paul says in another letter that he writes to the church in Rome, he says that God didn't wait until we could prove ourselves to him that we were good enough to be his friends. No, no, no. He says this. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Reconciled. We were made friends with God. While we were enemies, we were made friends through the death of his son. That's what Jesus came to do in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, to reconcile, to make friends, us, back to God. That's wonderful. And that's the friendship that enables us to be the type of friends that we're called to be. Do you know that friendship this morning? Do you know what? You can. Come and speak to someone you came with or speak to one of us. We would love to tell you about this friendship with Jesus. Are the friendships that you have lived out of this foundation of friendship with God? Is it this friendship with Jesus that helps you to live out the mission he's called you to, whether that's in your family, whether that's at school, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's in the church, in the community that you live? Are you living out what friendship with God means in those places? Come on, let's be ones who use our time well, who look to Jesus, who are passionate about our friendship with him, passionate about that foundation and passionate about the mission that he calls us to. I'd love us to pray and finish with a song if the band could come up. Let's pray. Let's come to Jesus this morning. Let's come before him as dearly loved ones. Let's come before him. Thank you for wonderful friendship that you call us into. Thank you, there was a day where as we sung this morning, you called my name. There was a day that you called our names. You called us out. Thank you. Thank you for wonderful friendship. Thank you for reconciliation with God. 
Thank you for friendship with the maker of the universe. Thank you you didn't spare your son. Father, you gave him so that we could know you and be friends with you. Thank you for what wonderful sacrifice that is. And Lord, we want to pray that out of friendship with you, out of knowing you and knowing the delight of love and acceptance, we would live out lives that display this. We'd live out friendships here in Jubilee that are rooted in the love of God. Lord, help us. Help us to be friends to one another. I pray for people who are here who perhaps think, do you know what, I, I could do with more friends. Help them to reach out and find friends and make friends. Lord, I pray for... Um, I pray for the mission you've called us to. Thank you for the work of Christ that is before us. Thank you you capture all of us in us, in that. Whatever our backgrounds. We might have backgrounds like Paul. We might have backgrounds like Epaphroditus. But you call us into your mission because you've saved and redeemed us. Thank you. And thank you that this year you're afresh calling us into the mission of God. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of all we're involved in. Thank you for our friends in Ghana. Thank you for our friends in Turkey. Thank you for for friends in Teesside, churches that love you, that we're called into mission with in this place. Lord, help us to play our part in this region for your kingdom and your joy-filled news, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's stand.